pressing on toward Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to live and orient our lives in such a way that we are striving after Christ, that we are trying to make our lives, conform our lives to the image of Christ? What is it what does Christian maturity look like? If you've heard Christians talk about that, that we want to grow in Christ, that we want to be mature as Christians, well, what does that mean to be a mature Christian? Not just what does it mean, but also what does it look like? Like, at, by what point do you know that you have arrived spiritually? If we're trying to progress as Christians, what does progress look like? And how do you measure progress? And how do you know when you have progressed? What we're talking about is the idea of sanctification, that ongoing process of looking like Christ. Now, if we were to talk about salvation, which we talked about two weeks ago, the last time we were in Philippians together, that's somewhat of a simple process. Uh, I don't mean simple in terms of simplistic it's very profound, but in terms of knowing what it looks like and when it's accomplished, salvation is simple. We understand that when we are sinners and we realize our sin, that it separates us from God and we turn from our sins and by faith in repentance of those sins, we, we place our faith and trust in what Christ has done for us on salvation, done for us at the cross, that his death provided salvation for us. At that moment, we are converted. We go from unbeliever to believer. We go from child of darkness to child of the king. And so at that moment, once and for all, the person then is saved. But how does the process of sanctification then? So if that's, if that's at one point in the past, which has eternal ramifications for the future, at that point you have eternal life, right? In one sense, it's a reality. And yet in another sense, you're not yet you haven't ultimately realized the full effects of that salvation, right? Now we're in this already, not yet. We're waiting to be fully glorified. We're waiting for Christ to return. We're waiting for the ultimate salvation. And so now we're trying to live like Christ. And so we still see sin in our life. We're still wrestling with the effects of that sin. We're not yet fully mature. So what, what is this now in between? How do we know when we've arrived? What does success look like? How do we grow in our Christ-likeness? Because we want to be people who are mature and growing in Christ. I can't remember if I've, I don't think I've shared this story with you about uh, my, my illustrious eighth grade basketball career. Um, if you haven't read about it in ESPN, I'm sure they're still waiting to write the article. Um, it's somewhat of an embarrassing story, so if I've told you, I kind of repress those things from my mind. But So he, here's Aaron Hart as, as a 7th, 8th grade basketball player. Here's the moment I knew that I had arrived as a basketball player. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in Ohio, uh, was a part of a small private school uh, that you know ESPN wasn't actually writing articles about us. But I was cut from the 7th grade basketball team. Didn't even make the team. So eighth grade, I show up. I wasn't, I wasn't done yet. Decided I'm going to keep going. My older brother played basketball, and I wanted to be like him and tried to be good. So I show up for the 
eighth grade year, I actually somehow made the team. First game of the season, eighth grade season. I wasn't a starter, but the coach let me play a little bit. By some miracle, a couple of balls went through the hoops a couple of times. It was crazy. I think I finished my first game with like six points because of some miracle at the end. Like somehow I got a couple of those garbage points that don't count, you know? So I was pretty excited. I had gotten cut on my seventh grade year, and now, first game of my eighth grade year, I have six points to my name. And so I show up to practice the next day, and I find out that in the upcoming game, the coach has decided that I will be a starter for the eighth grade basketball team. I can tell the gravity of that did not sink in. There was no applause. There was... Ladies and gentlemen, I was cut my seventh grade year. You remember Michael Jordan was cut from one of his teams, right? And, and yet he turned out to be good. And here I am, second game of my eighth grade basketball career in a small private school. And Aaron Hart, ladies and gentlemen, was a starter. Thank you. Now you're, now you're catching... I had arrived. I knew at that moment this was the illustrious grandeur of all of my glory. And so I'm preparing at practice, couldn't wait to be a starter. I think I went to my older brother's closet and raided his basketball attire because I had Nike shoes and I needed his Nike socks to match my Nike shoes. I think I stole a, a sweatband, you know, with the Nike. I needed to be ready to go so that I was ready for this game. So coach puts me in. I'm now a starter. Obviously, I had gotten six points in the last game, the hopes and dreams of everyone in that community rested on me. As soon as I got the ball, there was one thing that needed to happen. It needed to go in the basket, and that's what I did for the first few seconds of the game. I think that I had shot the ball three times in less than a minute. They were the worst shots you can imagine. I was forcing shots. I had no chance of the ball going through the basket, but I thought I had arrived. My dreams came to a crashing halt when the coach pulls me out within a few seconds. And he looks at me with some statement just like, Aaron, what are you doing? And what, what he's saying by that is, who, who do you think you are? What happened? Like, why now are you out there, you know, proving that my picture's not going to be on a Wheaties box for basketball, right? And I thought I had made it. I thought that all of my accomplishments were going to show themselves in that moment. And I wasn't yet there. So here's how I want to bring this into the Christian life. How do you know when you have arrived as a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you know when you have succeeded to the, what it is that God calls us to? Because you don't want to go through the Christian life and fall flat on your face like an 8th grade basketball player who thought he was a lot better than he actually was. You see, you, you want to live the Christian life and you want to be straining towards the goal and straining towards the prize of what, you, what it is that God calls us to. And you want to have an accurate assessment of your growth in the Christian life. And so we're going to start in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. And, and remember in two weeks ago when we were looking at the first part of chapter 3, there Paul is talking all about salvation. He's talking about how it is that people find righteousness before Christ or goodness? How is it that sinners can find righteousness? And there were some that thought that they could work for it, that they could attain it, that they could go back to the works of the law, and somehow this would help bring them along in their walk with Christ. And, and Paul said, no, salvation happens only through 
faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. It's only through the righteousness of Christ that we can ever be accounted as good. And he finishes that section. If you look at your Bibles in verse 10, and I said that we would look at this the next time that we go together. So here's where we're going to kind of springboard off of. And he understands, let me go to verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There's Paul's goal. That's what he wants, is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, he knew that righteousness would only come through Christ, and yet he made it his pursuit, his goal, by any means possible. He wanted to make sure that this would be true in his life. So what does that mean? Let's look at verse 12, and I want you to understand understand as we go through, this is going to help us understand what growth in the Christian life looks like, what maturing as a Christian looks like. And he says this. So there's this, there's this goal that he wants to attain. There's, he wants to know Christ. He wants to attain the resurrection from the dead. It's always this forward, future-looking goal of someday being glorified in Christ, that he would see Christ uh, and, and, and that he would have the promise of his salvation. And so he says this in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. He wants them to understand that he isn't yet already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Brothers, excuse me, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There's a couple of things that Paul wants the believers in Philippi to understand, and so he writes them, and he, and he says, listen, there's this goal that we are all working toward in Christ's likeness, but there's a couple of dangers, a couple of pitfalls that he wants them to avoid. Because remember, in the section, he's already gone over the fact that, that justification or rightness, righteousness before God only comes through faith in Christ. So if, if righteousness or if salvation only is dependent on the work of Christ, there's two, um, there's two pitfalls that Paul wants to make sure they steer clear of, kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. One would be able to say, wait a minute, I have faith in Christ. I'm perfect. I've arrived. I've attained sinless perfection because Christ has attained it for me on the cross. And Paul wants them to see, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not already yet perfect. You need to keep pressing forward. The other, the other on the opposite end would simply be this, that wait a minute, if Christ provides salvation for me at the cross, then why does it even matter? I mean, why do I even try at all? I, Christ accomplished salvation for me, and therefore I don't need to keep working in my Christ-likeness, or there's no need for me to continue to grow. And Paul wants them to understand, wait a minute, you must keep pressing forward. So look at the language that he uses, and he says, he says listen, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, listen, I haven't already obtained, and that word has the idea of like seizing or taking hold of, like to pursue so that you can actually uh, um, 
obtain something. And Paul says, listen, Christ-likeness and maturity, I haven't already obtained that yet. I'm not yet perfect or mature or complete. And we're going to come back to that word in a minute. But he says, I press on to make it my own. And he's using athletic imagery as if someone's running a race. And he says, I'm, I'm pressing on. I'm working hard. I'm straining towards this goal and this prize because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see what he's saying? I, I am pressing, I'm reaching, I want to obtain this because Christ has taken hold of me. I want to attain Christ's likeness and take hold of that because of the work that God has done in me to take hold of me. And, and I do not consider that I have yet made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You see what he wants them to understand? He wants them to be thinking and understanding that they haven't yet attained perfection. They're not yet there. They still need to keep working. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. And they're not yet there yet because even Paul himself isn't there yet. He's not perfect. He's not complete. And for all of the good things that you could say about Paul's life, for all of his accomplishments, and he even goes through some of that earlier in chapter 3 and says, in terms of my salvation, in terms of coming to faith in Christ, I had all these impressive resume qualities that I could stack up, and yet he, he realizes that that doesn't help him in his salvation. He also realizes for all of the good work in his sanctification, for all of the good things that Paul has already done to this point in his ministry, in planting churches and proclaiming the gospel, and couldn't you at some point just say, Paul, you've done enough. You can take some time off, right? Like, like enjoy life. Kind of coast out uh, easy on life. Couldn't he, couldn't he just kind of rest on his laurels, so to speak, of what he has already accomplished, and Paul says, no. He says, here's what I do. I forget what is behind, and I press on toward the upward call of Christ. He, he wants to make Christ's likeness his goal. He, we already went through in chapter 2 where he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's been the one singular focus of his life is to pursue who Christ is. And he says, this is what I want. This is what I want to accomplish. I'm not there yet, and I want to work hard at it. And he wants people, he, he's just saying, listen, I press towards this. That word press is the exact same word that up in verse 8 or in verse 6, he talks about being a persecutor of the church. So here's Paul who pressed on the church. He persecuted the church. And now he's saying, listen, now I press on towards Christ. That's what I'm pursuing tenaciously. It is a Christ-likeness because he doesn't think of himself as already being there yet. So how do you know that you are mature as a Christian? Well, this isn't the fullest answer, but by all means, certainly, if you don't recognize that you're not yet mature, then you're certainly not mature. Those who think they've arrived, those who think they're about to have their picture on a Wheaties box, are going to flat 
fall flat on their face in a spiritual sense, right? Because one of the truest marks of, of humility in a Christian's life is not realizing, I have, I have done so well in the Christian walk that now I don't need Christ. It's someone who realizes, I'm not yet there. In fact, I press on to this. I make it my goal. It is a pursuit. You have the quote in your bulletin from a man named Sam Albury, and he, uh, on Twitter actually this week, he said this, progress in the Christian life is not needing Christ less but needing him more. And, and as we grow in our Christ-likeness, it's not that we realize, wow, I am so much like Christ that now I have progressed. It's as we grow closer to Christ, we realize I'm not yet there. I need to keep pursuing Christ. I need to keep, I, I, don't, I don't rest on what I've accomplished already, but I actually forget what is behind and I just keep my eyes on the goal of who Christ is. John Piper has written uh, a, a, a little mini-biography on the life of Charles Spurgeon and George Mueller and Hudson Taylor, and he talks about their life and the ways that they were connected and the confidence that they had in God together. And he writes in a section here on the life of Charles Spurgeon, uh, who many would say is the greatest preacher of the 19th century, and, and the, 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 he's writing specifically about the zeal that Charles Spurgeon showed in his life and just how tenaciously he worked as a minister and how, how fully he devoted himself to that task. And he accomplished so much that it would have been easy to say, can't you just back off a little bit or haven't you accomplished enough already? And, and Piper is just drawing out how, he, uh, how tenaciously he pursued the things of Christ. And he quotes Spurgeon. And here's what Spurgeon says. Satisfaction with results will be the death knell of progress. No man is good who thinks that he cannot be better. He has no holiness who thinks he is holy enough. I want to read that again so that it sinks in. Spurgeon said, satisfaction with results will be the death knell of progress. No man is good who thinks that he cannot be better. He has no holiness who thinks that he is holy enough. So as you think about the Christian life and growing towards Christ and pressing on toward Christ, may you and I be people who realize we haven't yet arrived. In humility, we need to say, I, I, I want to keep pressing towards Christ. I'm, I'm forgetting what is behind me and the good things that have been accomplished because I know there is something even better ahead, and that's ultimately Christ-likeness, and I want to grow in Him. And so I, I forget about what is behind, and he says uh, in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. That, that word mature in verse 15 is, is the exact same word that is translated perfect in verse 12. So what he's trying to draw out is, he, in verse 12, he says, I, I'm, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. And then he, he, he says in verse 15, if you are perfect, think this way. So what he's trying to say is, you're not mature, and if you're mature, you will realize that. And he says, this is the way we need to be thinking. And then he says in verse 15, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. This almost sounds like uh, uh, um, Paul is being, um, that there's this, uh, 
Perhaps he thinks there's those that disagree with him and he's really trying to stick it to him, right? So if you don't agree with me, God's going to show that to you, right? And I don't think that's quite the emphasis that Paul is saying. He's encouraging them as friends. And I think he's saying, listen, if this doesn't make sense to you, God in his goodness is going to reveal that to you. We can have confidence in God. You need to hold fast to what you've already attained. And hopefully God will show you in areas where you're blind to this uh, that you need to be walking with Christ in this way. And so as, as you think about this, then this is kind of the main point of this morning. How do you know that you're mature? Well, there's a, there's a recognition that you're not yet mature and you want to keep pursuing towards Christ. You want to keep pursuing Christ's likeness. He is your goal. And we'll see some of that as we continue in the verses here. But by way of application, is, is that you? Do you recognize your need for Christ and the need to pursue him? Or do you think you've arrived? Do you think that you, you, you know, sure, there's some areas you need to grow, but you're better than most. If you find your posture as a Christian that you are defending yourself as better than most other Christians, that's a dangerous and scary and prideful place to be. And Paul is very willing to say, I haven't already yet obtained this, but I'm pressing on to make it my own. It's what I want to pursue. And that should be true of us as well. And then he's going to give them a couple of things that are almost like by way of application. Here's, here's how this will help be fleshed out in their life. Here's how this can be true for them. It will help them as they pursue in their walk with Christ. And I think it will help us. So these are almost going to be points of application as we go through the text that will help us put into practice what I've already talked about. So verse 17, here is what Paul says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul, as he is in other letters, you see it in 1 Corinthians, you see it in 1 Thessalonians, he tells the believers, imitate me as I follow Christ. And he says, here, you need to imitate me in this and, and keep your eyes on those who walk with a good pattern that you have in us. And so that's, that's a great, how do you grow in Christ likeness? If you want Christ to be the ultimate goal, you need to keep your eyes on those who, as you watch their life, it looks as if they too are following Christ. It looks as if they keep Christ the central point so the central focus of their life. And then that's how a lot, of Christ, a lot of growth in the Christian life works, is through the imitation of others. And that is another way that discipleship is carried out within the local church, that we, life on life, believer on believer, there's a mentor relationship. And you see Paul as he works with Timothy, right? And you see the way that, that Paul pours into Timothy's life because he wants to train him up. And he instructs Timothy then to keep, to spend his time ministering to those who will then be able to teach others also, right? So Paul is pouring into Timothy. Timothy is kind of reaching up to mentorship for Paul, and he's an example for him to follow. And so for us as believers, uh, though we don't physically know Paul, we have the example of him as recorded in Scripture. We should keep our eyes on the example that he has. We should also be learning from other believers around us that, that are following Christ well. And certainly there, uh, this is a huge aspect of the Christian life. I would encourage you, if you don't have a spiritual mentor, someone that is discipling you, someone that is spending time with you, this is a great and necessary thing in the Christian life. Someone that can be an example to you. And that may take time to develop a relationship like that. You're not going to call somebody up and go to coffee with them next week and say, will you be my mentor? You'll say that on Tuesday and by Thursday, you're best friends. That doesn't happen. 
Uh, Some of the mentor relationships that I've pursued in my life have taken years to develop. And you start as acquaintances, and you try to get to be friends. And if you want a mentor in your life, I would encourage you, you're probably going to have to pursue it. It happens sometimes, but rarely will someone knock on your door and say, I'd like to mentor you. It'd be great if that happened, but you will often need to find someone that you say, I want to imitate their life. Their, their walk with Christ is such that I want to learn for them, and you're going to have to figure out how to develop a friendship and relationship with them, and over time, as that friendship grows, you can begin to ask them to pour into your life, and I would encourage you to do it. And to those of you then, <clears throat> then, I'll, then I'll flip the tables and say... Don't make someone come ask you. Go look for others who you can pour into their life that you can be following with as well. And I would encourage you to do that, that you would uh, be helping one another in this thing called the Christian life. Because Paul realized that for the believers there in Philippi, they needed examples. And he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Uh, maybe, maybe approaching someone for mentorship and friendship scares the daylights out of you. Another way that you can keep your eyes on the examples of others is simply to read good Christian biographies. I read from one this morning, and uh, I, I want to read to you in another book, John Piper talks about the value of reading from Christian biographies. And, and, and these would be Christians that have lived their lives faithfully throughout centuries past. And the purpose is not that we would look at them and say, wow, I want to be like them. The purpose is to learn about their life and to say, they followed God with such a faith that I want to imitate the same faith they had. Christ was all important to them, and we would want to learn from them. Hebrews chapter 11 goes through example of the, in the hallmarks of faith, and here's person after person who lived their faith well. And then you get to verse chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily hinders us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, suffering the shame. Right? That we would, that we would look to Christ as an example. And part of that is understanding what well, others have done the same thing. And so Piper writes about the value of Christian biographies in that context of Hebrews 11. And he says this, the unmistakable implication of the chapter is that if we hear about the faith of our forefathers and mothers, we will lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us. If we ask the author, how shall we stir one another up to love and good works? His answer would be through encouragement from the living and the dead. Christian biography is the means by which the body life of the church cuts across the centuries. And I, I, I would encourage you that as you read about some of these that have lived their lives faithfully, may it inspire you then to live your life for Christ. And may it inspire you to pursue Christ, to be growing and maturing in Christ, because unfortunately not everyone is a good example of Christ. And that's why he says in verse 18 of chapter 3, for many of whom I have often told you, and I now tell you with tears, that word tears is almost a little too weak, he's saying bawling. Like this is excruciatingly painful. I tell you now with tears weeping that they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And Paul wants them to realize, listen, there are good examples for you to follow, but unfortunately, there are also bad examples. And unfortunately, even though we realize God knows whose are his, he knows the hearts of every individual person. And when someone gets saved and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are a part of a universal church, an invisible church that God knows whose are his. 
Unfortunately, unbelievers can make their way into local visible churches, and for a while they can fool many people, and yet only God knows the hearts. And Paul says, listen, there are some, and someday God will sort this out, he makes clear, but for now, there are some whose examples should not be followed. And he says, don't keep your eyes on them. Their, their minds are set on the wrong earthly things, and you need to keep your eyes on those who walk as Christ, because he says then in verse 20, this, this helps you understand, well, where is his example? Where is his focus in verse 20? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And Paul wants them to realize and understand that, that listen, we are people who we don't have our minds on earthly things, right? We realize that our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await the return of our king, and he's going to transform our lowly bodies, right? And, and then we will receive this, the, uh, what, he, what he started in chapter 1, verse 6, and he said, he who's faithful, uh, who, he who's began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it about to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. This is where the focus is, is that eternal someday Christ accomplishing everything he started in us. And he says, this is what our focus is, and you need to stand firm in this truth. And so our perspective then, the second way of application is not just by looking to examples, but the second thing of application how do we grow in maturity in Christ is that we ought to have this heavenly forward future perspective that ought to be paramount in our lives that we would train ourselves to think about that future glorification that that would be what is most important to us and as we've gone through the book of Philippians hopefully you have seen this theme recurring several times that Paul had an eternal forward perspective you'll see that throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament I want you to see a few verses from the book of Titus that again speak well how, how an eternal, forward, heavenly, future perspective helps you now with your Christ-likeness right now in this earth. The two are not as separate as we like to think. We like to think that this life is about the here and now, and someday that life will be great about the future. But Paul over and over wanted them to see you won't live the way you're supposed to now. You won't be progressing in the Christian life if you're not thinking forward. So in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, here's these verses as there was instructions to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, here and now. And then we keep going to verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see the combination? He says, in the present life, there's certain things we need to avoid. There's certain things we need to strive towards. And as we're waiting for the glorious appearing, this is our hope, our blessed hope that Christ is going to return because this is what the gospel is all about, that Christ was creating a people for himself zealous for good works. Do you have that forward future perspective that helps reorient your perspective? Because if you don't, and we come back to that question of what does it look like to be mature in Christ, you won't make it without that forward future perspective. And this is the way we need to think. And I, I want to take just a, a, just a moment for the last section of application to think about what is, what is Paul doing? in the book of Philippians here. 
And remember, over and over, we have talked about, as we've gone through the book, that Paul wants to see the gospel advanced through the church there at Philippi, right? That they'd strive together in unity, that they'd be like-minded, even uh, in a humility, in a Christ-like humility, that the gospel would advance through the church there at Philippi. And it was important that they stay together corporately as a church. Now, we've been going through this for weeks and months, and you just get to hear snippets at a time, but remember, Paul wrote this as a letter. They would have heard it all in one shot, and fresh on their minds is chapter 1 and 2, that they need to strive together as a church, that corporately, Paul wants to see the gospel advanced and pushed forward in their lives as a church, and now he comes to chapter 3, and he brings that to the micro level. Not the corporate level of the church, but the lives of the individual Christians in the church, and he says, listen, here's what the gospel... All of this is so important in the corporate life of a church because of what the gospel has done in your lives individually as believers. That your righteousness and your goodness comes alone through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. But that is no reason to sit back, right? This is not, salvation is not a get out of jail free card that you, you know, okay, good, I'm glad I got that taken care of. Now I can live the rest of my life the way I want here. Paul wants them to understand that as individual Christians, the gospel now needs to be lived out in their life. That's why he said in chapter 2 that they would work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This is part of what that means, and he's helping them to understand that, look, you haven't yet arrived, and you as individual Christians need to keep striving after living out the gospel in your life that it would it's not a working for salvation it's the gospel and salvation being worked out in every aspect of their life so my my prayer for you Paul's prayer for the Philippians my prayer for myself that we as the people of Shawnee Baptist Church would not just be content in the truth of the gospel that we know we have forgiven sins but that we as people would actually see that lived out and applied in every aspect of our lives. That we would find our identity, our citizenship in heaven, in what God has done for us through the person of Christ. And that we would realize that the gospel needs to be applied in the way we live out our lives. So that when we think of ourselves, we don't first think of ourselves in terms of our social status or in terms of our employment or uh, uh, whether we are a mother or a father or a business owner or whatever it might be. That we don't think of ourselves and identity in terms of the success of our children, but that we first and foremost think of ourselves as citizens of heaven not even citizens of the nation that we are a part of, but first and foremost, citizens of heaven, and that we seek to live faithfully here and now on this earth so that the gospel is lived out in our lives. Paul wanted the church at Philippi to radically change. There was some unity that needed to be taken care of. There was doctrinal problems that crept in. And Paul knew the only way the church corporately would radically change is if the individual lives in that church were transformed by the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is my prayer for us at Shawnee, is that God would not just do a good work corporately among us. How is he going to do that? through our individual lives as we grow in our maturity and Christ-likeness. And this side of heaven, there's never a day where we're going to wake up and say, I've arrived, I've made it, I can go into coast mode. That doesn't happen this side of heaven. And so we need to be people who realize we need to be pressing on toward Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we would see our need of you. 
We haven't yet arrived. We aren't the people yet that you want us to be. We need to be growing. We need to be changing. And I pray that your spirit would do that through your word. I pray that we would look to you as the ultimate example and others who are following you well. Help us to be connected to one another's lives, that we push one another towards Christ. Father, may we, may we be people who have an eternal future perspective. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Christ for salvation. You need to turn from your sin. Call out to God in prayer. You can do it silently where you are. You can speak with one of us afterwards. I'll be down in the front. Would love to speak with anyone that has that spiritual need, that you realize, I'm a sinner. There is nothing I can do to earn my way to God. But I realize Jesus Christ died in my place, and he rose again, and his death provides salvation. It provides a righteousness that I could never attain on my own. And you place your full confidence in that. And by faith, then you have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And that's what Paul wanted the church at Philippi to place their confidence in. Because otherwise, they would deny the gospel by those that said uh, they needed to add something in their own human efforts. We'll go further in this as the next time that we get to gather, uh, the next time I get to preach for um, the next few verses of Philippians because he's going to keep explaining what some of this means, that by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your gracious truth that righteousness can only come through faith in Christ. Lord, we recognize that um, we are sinners. There's nothing that we can do of our own human effort to find salvation and eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It's only through what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And I pray that each and every one of us that have placed our faith in Christ, that we would again just um, be encouraged with the truths of Scripture of what Christ has accomplished for us. And that's where our faith would be. Father, for those that may be here this morning and need to make a decision to trust in Christ for salvation, may you convict them of that need, that on their own they can never do enough. They can never earn their salvation. They will never have enough credentials to make their life better or to self-improve to the point that you will be pleased with them. Father, they need Christ and salvation. May they find that through faith in the finished work of cross. By your grace, save people today. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.